0: Cheers to good friends.
1: Cheers. 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 Mmm. That was sort of an oaky afterbirth. Mm. What was that? She did tell me to uh, get a beer and some cheese fries over at Eskimo Joe's.
2: That's very nice, lovely. I only hope
0: you feel this way when I'm done. Because I could destroy this night in two seconds. Why is that funny? Well, I think it's a bit funny to be
2: trying to define nothing.
1: (laughs) Smooth as a bourbon on a summer day. Strong as a peated scotch in the winter night. This is a fair warning. The Catholic Man Show is about to begin. Slap some bacon on a biscuit and let's go. We're burning daylight. Welcome to the Catholic Man Show, we're on the Lord's team, the winning side, so raise your glass. Adam Minahan here, sitting in studio, studio, do we still call it studio? Yeah. Sitting in studio with David Niles e Juan Posada, el producer. Jim, Jaime is at the door, making sure no one is going to break in. I love how Gail referred to Jim as Jimbo Baggins on <laughs> Facebook. I also love that. that.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I like, like that Jim's real. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering that when he's I came really on. Here. Like, Jim's actually over there. Yeah, he's I was just kind of curious. He's always right there. Yeah. I Jim just... was going to be like a volleyball <laughs> like over there. But, <laughs> but everyone was just like, that's our friend Jim. Jim. <laughs> Jim's real. Jim's like a real person. He is. He is yeah. re- He
1: is real. No, I like that. So uh, our guest this evening is he is. He was one of the first guests, I think, of the one Catholic One of the earliest, yeah. yeah. of the Catholic Man Show. Inside 20 episodes. Yeah. Uh, we have Deacon Harrison. Before this he was like a deacon. Deep, this is like a deep track, sort of. Kind yeah, of. kind so of. It's a throwback to throwback. a deep track. Yeah. sure. Deacon we'll Harrison-Garlic. Yeah. Chancellor of the Diocese of Tulsa in eastern Oklahoma. A fellow great books tutor of the Alcuin Institute mm. for Catholic mm. Culture. A mm. Contributing writer for the Catholic answers magazine and catholicanswers.com i don't know you have a lot of titles i think that's probably that'll suffice that's for good. now that's great i appreciate it thank you yes a- oh new father a father of a new uh son alfred little
0: alfred alfred christian
1: so congratulations congratulations it's awesome amy's doing well yeah a- amy's doing well yep good yeah no we're very blessed also a uh, new homeowner
0: yeah, we're doing a lot of things. You, you do have a whole lot, lot, of lot of new things. We have a lot of transitions
1: right now. Yeah. yeah
0: I own some new chickens.
2: New chicken. New chicken coop.
1: Yeah. I'm like the only non-farmer of the Catholic Mansion. I did not- is probably a strong word. No, I no, no, say no, that. no, no. No. no,
2: You're a farmer now. <laughs> <laughs> you have land. Yeah. A
0: pond and chickens in your garage. I like
2: to go out to Bixby on like Saturday mornings and sit down and get a cup of coffee with some old guys and complain about how terrible the crop was. <laughs>
0: In your backyard, because I'm a farmer. You're broken Arrow. Yeah.
2: Well, actually, last year I did plant wheat. Oh, nice! And it didn't grow. Oh. Um, my daughters brought home like two it, seeds of wheat. Whatever like wheat berries uh, uh, from catechesis of the Good Shepherd. They were handing them out. Oh, so you planted those, and too? we put them in the garden, and nothing happened. And so now I like really can complain, like, oh, the wheat crop! I lost my whole crop <laughs> last year. It's terrible.
0: <laughs> no, that's good. Okay, I'll claim that I'm a farmer.
2: Yeah, and I'm just one of the guys there. Because I'm a farmer. think a mm-hmm. good cup of coffee. Me and my five chickens. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. You have eight chickens. I do. Well, You're they like... told me a couple would die. And so
0: <laughs> I was like, well, I don't really want eight chickens. Uh, but I want like five, so I'll buy eight you chickens. You know, you can eat them. You can, yeah. Most of them are egg layers, but yeah, I can't eat them. Yeah. I think I'm also allowing my children to name them, so we'll we'll cross. That is a
1: mistake, I think. No, well,
0: if no like... I don't
2: think it is. I think you name them and then kill yeah. them. <laughs> yeah you have to actually eat the one that you name yeah ah. exactly. make them actually you do the like put right. them in the kill cone and everything
0: yeah I, I mean some of my friends that have animals they have rules that you, we're not gonna name anything that we're going to eat mm-hmm. but then the chickens i mean they are dual purpose at certain times but for most of the time they're going to be egg layers yeah so then you name them and etc and you know the kid also it's weird because you want the kids to pick them up like when they're chicks like you want them to be handled etc so yeah. they're more docile and used uh-huh. to humans so then it's really hard to you know tell them later like well that's just a farm animal that that animal that you cuddled and named and everything you know so and loved right <laughs> so but it's good it's it's a uh,
1: we're moving along we have a lot of transitions but things are good we're very blessed good okay so this evening we will have a talisker scotch 18 year that dave brought which is i'm really excited about. i love talisker uh, i love the the uh dark storm I love in fact that's one of my favorite i agree. Like, under it it's super underrated people yeah. don't know about like how delicious it really is, yeah, for a hundred bucks i would I would choose that over lefroig lore, which is definitely you know, I mean, but I would take Lafroric ten over
2: Lefroy lore personally,
1: yeah, I don't know, I'm not sure, but i I don't know I'd need to do a side by side on that, but I think that's just because
2: like to me Lefroric ten is I idolize it a little bit, and so you when do. it's like oh, this isn't what I love and so it's, it kind of disappoints me and I don't I think maybe I don't give it a chance to like stand on its own some of the other Laphroaigs. Mm-hmm. but um I kind of do the same thing with Ardbeg 10 but a lot of the other Ardbegs I'm a big fan of like the Cordy of yes. uh Scorch uh, yeah I mean just so I don't know what it is about the I just Laphroaig. buy Lefroy 10 every right. time well, yeah, i think that that's actually go my
0: wrong. greatest contribution to the man show actually
2: it, yes, yes yes you were that is true you were the one who i wasn't who, even st- on the episode started us that on you, this
1: road
0: no you weren't you left me to david
2: by myself
1: yeah i was on vacation and david's like it's okay i'm gonna have harrison garlic because you weren't even deacon yet nope uh have harrison garlic on i'm like perfect that'll be great and i remember tuning in on my phone like live listening to listening to you guys and you guys were talking about the diaconate and the dave goes so why can't women be priests you know <laughs> it's like that was like the one of the first All right, if questions. you're going to put it that way i wasn't like asking you know like
2: i i've been wondering this for a while you know no, i mean you knew it was
1: it was a setup question i mean right, you were, it was you were uh, throwing a softball to him and it was and yeah. they yeah. just style took it as question.
2: a statement and moved forward Yeah. Yep, you're right. They can. Yeah. Next question. (laughs) Right. Thank you so much. Well, because they're women, all right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: But, yeah, we did talk about Laphroaig on that episode.
2: And that was not our first time. It's not my first time to have Laphroaig. The first time I had it was like a year before. And I remember drinking it and laughing, thinking, that's the worst thing I've ever had. Who is it that was out there making whiskey and got this and said, stop the press. This is it. Like... Make more of th- this is what we've been searching for. And I just thought it was hilarious that, like, this is... People are out there, like, proud of it. And then a year later, when we tried it on the show, I said, like, that's not bad. No, it's I good. like it.
0: I had a... Fr- I first uh, tried it. I had a friend who, at his birthday, had a scotch tasting at mm-hmm. his birthday. And that was, like, the last thing we had. And, like, everyone there hated it. They're like, this t- tastes like someone took a Sharpie, ground it up, and put it in a bottle... And I kind of liked it. I was like, I, I can see this. And he he told me, actually, he's like, if you start to like this, everything else will taste like a Jolly Rancher. Yeah. And he was absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Like most everything else, I'm like, gosh, it's just so sweet. It's like, no, you're
2: used to drinking something that sounds like a coal mine. Yeah. All I right. think that's also why I like six and eight year scotches too. Uh, because often they're just a little less refined. A little, You know, they're like rougher around the edges. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's kind of when you're used to, Like, that level of intensity that Laphroaig 10 brings to the table. Right. Some of those younger scotches kind of imitate that in their own way, so... But this, today... We're on the Lord's team. Yeah. The winning side. So raise your glass. And cheers to Jesus. Cheers. Cheers. So, today, we're drinking, as Adam mentioned, Talisker 18. Um, This was $145 at the local liquor store here in Tulsa, America. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's fantastic. I do too. Uh, I think
1: it actually is worth one hundred and forty dollars.
2: I do too. I do too. And what do you, you think? You, it's you, good.
1: Yeah, it's good. It's good. That's my analysis. How about the yummy? It's the top of the yummy. Scale. Top, of the, top, yummy top scale. of the yummy. Scale. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Good. Wow, that's good. Okay, so Deacon, you're also like I like I mentioned, you're the chancellor of the diocese of Tulsa Eastern Oklahoma. Um, what What the heck is a chancellor? Like what? Like what is that? That's a good question. So, thank you. uh, Yeah, well done.
0: So, chancellors typically do different things in each diocese. Mm -hmm. Um, So, there's like, so under canon law, we're basically in charge of documents. We are an ecclesial notary. So, our job is to keep track of everything, to issue documents, uh, notarize all of bishops' official documents, make sure everything's. You
2: actually have to like do something like that, like a notary does, where you. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, so if you look at like Bishop Condola's documents that come out to the diocese, if they have any. you know, if they're out of his actual authority, like he's Mm -hmm. actually like propagating something as law or we're going to do this, right? Not like a thank you letter or pastoral letter, but like, you know, this has, you know, weight behind it. Yeah. We need to do it here. Then usually my name's on it. We, Mm -hmm. I notarize it. Uh So it's usually like Bishop and then down in the corner, I'll do it. So like, You know, all priest assignment letters, things like that, et cetera. So a few public ones that come out, um, you know, if he names like a certain year or something like that, Uh, but that's a lot of my job is keeping track of that. That's actually his signature. Like, you know, who's actually making sure, you know, this pipeline, as Adam knows from communications director, because he's constantly asking us, what is this document actually going to come out? Uh You know, sometimes it's like herding cats uh, to figure out where is the document right now in the pipeline and who needs to see it before it comes out. So that's a lot of... uh, Because it's secret. Right. It's secret. Yeah. There's, you know, there's just things that, you know, for the sake of...
1: No, it is. It's just funny because I've still been... In fact, I've been working at the chancery now for a year like this is mm-hmm. that's weird to me i feel like you just started Just started i know so i'm about a year in and like it's just funny how i i have learned like the different things of the various ticks of the chancery like things that have to go through certain pipelines mm-hmm. and like um it's just interesting to to see how how, how it plays out yeah yeah but so
0: under canon law that's what chancellors do right and so then after that it just wildly differs so a lot of you're also in-house counselor. right? So I'm also an attorney, and the diocese is my client, right? So I serve in-house for the diocese, um, and so usually, inside the Anglosphere, chancellor has typically borne some type of weight and authority behind it, mm-hmm. right? And so that's why, like for instance, in canon law, there's nothing, there's no such thing as like a chancery; it's the curia, it's the bishop's court, right? But Uh, In the Anglosphere, we usually talk about a chancery because that's where the chancellor is, right? He's usually the one that's actually there. So inside the United States, chancellors typically are either legal counsel, uh, they're some type of like business manager over the whole diocese, or a lot of times they're running HR, so usually it's something that's also document related, like someone who just kind of naturally fits into that. So I play that role, and then generally help out bishop with the corporate structure of the diocese, and then oversee about a dozen chancellor offices. And you're
2: technically the archdeacon. <laughs> no. Even yes. I, you know, yes, I think you are. I, it's, in my phone, I have you as Archdeacon. Well, then Harrison. that's
0: certainly official. Yes. Yeah. What am I in your phone? <laughs>
2: yeah, that's
1: good. Yeah. Hey, I just want to take a second to thank you, the Catholic Mantra listener, for your support in Christ-Centered Capital. Christ-Centered Capital is a watchdog site uh, for Judeo-Christian investors. If you go to com, you can use promo code TCMS2022 and get one month free uh, and have access to all of Mark Lozano's investments reports and help support his partner charities. Because we've had so much support in Christ Centered Capital, Mark continues to grow. He continues to grow his business, and he's, he's, he's having new opportunities to help promote his his business. So one of the things he's about to do is be featured on Capturing Christianity with Cameron Bertuzzi, talking about Christian investing. So you're not going to want to miss that. Go to ChristCenteredCapital.com. You'll be able to stay up to date with what Mark is going on, and, and more importantly, be able to invest your money in a... Uh, ethical way. So go to ChristCenteredCapital.com, use promo code TCMS2022 for one month free, no obligation, subscription to his access to investment reports and support of his partner charities. ChristCenteredCapital.com, where do your values lie?
2: And welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles. Here with Adam Minahan, our special guest is the Lord Chancellor himself, Harrison Garlic, Deacon. Yeah, Deacon, oh, I forgot that part. Yeah, Mea culpa. Deacon. Thank you. Uh, so, I have been looking forward to this episode for a long time. I know that you have agreed to come <laughs> on to the episode, do this episode with us for a long time. Uh, not necessarily, I don't know if you've been like, per se, looking forward to it. Yeah. I think you're a little bit nervous about it, I am. but I'm, I'm, it's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to awesome. a good conversation
0: with Adam, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be one of those episodes where I think we're going to blow people's mind, because uh, we're going to talk about something that they think probably, most people think that they like generally know what it is, and I think generally they don't, and I was, I'm was i one of those people, <clears throat> I generally thought I knew what eros was, or mm-hmm. erotic love, until you disabused me of that notion. And It's uh, a good word. Thank you. I got that from A.J. Hoffland. He used that word one oh, yeah. time, and I was like, that is a sweet word. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's I try used to, in the legal field a lot. I try to throw it mm, in when yeah, I can. We're
0: always trying to disabuse people of everything. Right.
2: I also like to use behold as often as I can. Okay. Just because it's like an, an awesome an word. It's like, hey, the other day I was beholding this movie, and you should really check it out. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: That was one. You got one. Okay. Yeah, you have two. Right. You get two, Dave. No, that, that was, was that was not that an was Eros
2: joke. joke. It was not an Eros joke. All right, so we'll table that. Okay.
1: Yeah, so
0: Eros, I think... Uh, no, I think you are right. We, it's, it's a term that we do need to disabuse, uh, you know, the misunderstandings of. It's a word that we need to reclaim, I think, as Catholics, mm-hmm. right? Because I think it has a much deeper meaning than the more kind of, like, shallow, vapid way it's been read in modernity. Yeah. So I think, broadly speaking, if we're going to have a working definition that we start to kind of play out... Uh, eros erotic love it really is a need to be satiated right it's a we have a all of us all humans by our nature have a need love right so a need a love that has to actually be satiated we long to feel complete to feel whole right and I think that you know obviously like in today's culture uh, most of us immediately associate that with sexuality right Mm -hmm. sex and that's not actually too terribly wrong I would say it's more of a starting point than actually like the completion of it, right? Uh So Eros, like most people, if you talk about Eros, um, it's a Greek term. Most people turn to Plato's Symposium uh, because that's the subject, is Eros. And actually, you know, the men there are discussing Eros uh, after one of the poets has had a victory in a contest. And so they're gonna all talk about Eros. And there in that, they're talking about Eros to God, which uh, in Rome, so that's another thing, is that Eros also refers to a God. And we also get- A Greek God. A Greek god. His Roman name is Cupid. Um, but through the Renaissance, Cupid became um, this kind of cherubim slash fat little baby. And so more stupid, stupid. Cupid. It, it seems more shallow again, right? It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, we have that. It's a, you know, Valentine's Day kind of deal. Right. You know, just speaking of things that we've gutted of meaning. And so, you know, when they talk about in a the symposium, they give all these like praises of the god Eros and what this means and etc. And it's really fascinating. And there's a lot of things to dig into there. But then, of course, Socrates has to speak. And like every time when he speaks, he's gonna bring clarity to this. And it's a really fascinating dialogue because it's one of the very few times that he actually says, well, actually, I didn't know anything about this and here's who I learned it from when I was younger, which is rare for him. I think he only does that one other time. And the other thing that's very odd is that he refers to a woman, that a woman taught him uh, what he refers to as his erotics. Mm -hmm. right? So a certain way you're like, Hmm. oh, here we go, right? Here comes sexuality and her name's Diotima. And what she teaches him is is like, yeah, there is a seeking of a wholeness to be satiated. And in that satiation, when we when we actually feel complete and whole, there's happiness. And Eros ultimately terminates in happiness, right? We all have this desire for for happiness. And it does actually start with the beloved, right? The lover looks on the beloved. And even on a shallow level, right, there's the contours of the beloved. There's the body of the beloved. There's these things that we find uh, arousing, and we're lured to it. You see this, like in our culture, right? Uh, often in a corrupted way, but like we're drawn towards beauty, and particularly mm-hmm. we're we're drawn towards uh, beautiful people, right? And we we see this in our art. We see this all around us. We see this in the ways we communicate, you know, these kind of things. And so, but what Diotima teaches him is is that eros is not reducible to that love of the beloved, right? So, like, if we're going to look at this. She says, that's, the problem is, is that when you satiate in the beloved, when you actually, so I mean, sexuality is certainly a part of this, right? There's a coming together. But the problem is, is that we as humans want to be happy all the time. Like we don't want to be happy some of the time. We want to be happy all the time, right? Mm -hmm. And so your beloved is finite, but your satiation, your thirst, right? To be sated, your erotic thirst is infinite, because you want to be happy all the time. Mm-hmm. And so what Diamantino points out here is that that can't be the end of your erotic love because if it was, it's disproportionate. Mm-hmm. And you actually, I think there's a huge, as a aside, I think there's a huge thing for why marriages fail, right? It's like, oh, that person completes me, right? right. We actually put an unfair burden right. on our spouse to make us happy all the time.
2: Yeah. And so- Yeah, we hang our, our, you know, we hang all this weight on a hook that just can't bear the weight. Exactly, it's yeah. not
0: fair, right? And then of course, like expectations fail and you have divorce and all these things. And so I think that what she teaches him is like, eros in a certain way can be seen as a ladder, right, or the climbing of a mountain. Eros is actually an ascent. It's a love that actually draws you upward. Uh-huh. And so we have this certainly this love of the beloved, and you know it can start on what we might call a shallow level, but I think just a real level of like what does the beloved look like, the contours of the body, why am I attracted to this person? But then she says, but what happens is is that um, um, if there's a maturation of eros, right, a maturity you also start to love the person as a person. You start to love that person in their virtue, Mm -hmm. in their honor, in glory. And all of a sudden what happens is is that it's not just the virtue of that individual person, it's virtue broadly speaking. It's not just honor or glory in that individual, it's honor or glory broadly speaking. Right. So she paints this picture of like um, the poets, the statesmen, these people that are seeking honor and glory, warriors, are actually playing out an erotic appetite They're seeking something that actually is infinite, right? A good, right? A beauty. Mm. And so the poets, the warriors, the statesmen, all these people are actually trying to satiate their erotic appetite on a higher beauty, right? Than just a person. Right. And then she goes on. So you kind of see this ladder going up. She goes on to say, but again, all those things in certain ways are finite. And it's really not until you start to satiate, you start to quench your thirst on beauty itself, right? On the infinite. And the only thing that's beauty itself is God. Mm -hmm. So in this pagan text, we have this very beautiful picture that there's this ladder, right? And we have to go this. And that, obviously, why Socrates is recounting this is because what that means is the most erotic life is the life of the philosopher. It's the intellectual life, right? And you see that we see all kinds of great saints playing this out of just like they're seeking God and it's not just an academic exercise. There's actually uh, an existential fulfillment in that, right? When they come to meet him. So of course, like this is a pagan text and so like, okay, what does this have to do with Catholicism and et cetera? And like, you know, we can get pushback against that. And, uh, I think the text to turn to, particularly because I don't, I don't want anything here to be like you know Deacon Garlic's cool ideas. I mean, all this is all the <laughs> wisdom of the church, but I would argue it's the wisdom of the church that we've set aside and forgotten to the detriment of ourselves and our neighbor. Yeah. Right. Because our our world is just one giant parade of disordered eros. and so what ends up happening is uh, Deus Caritas Est by Pope Benedict XVI mm-hmm. is our a modern text by a modern pope giving a defense of eros, and so he mentions the symposium, he mentions these things. But he points out, like, this is actually very um, harmonious with the biblical tradition, right? He says, no, look, I mean, you can look at Adam and Eve, right? There's a lost, is there a lost wholeness? Is there a seeking of wholeness? You know, it's not as much as, like, the Greek myths where, like, humans were split, if you're familiar with that. Like, at the beginning, like, we were together and humans were split and we're actually looking for the one that we lost, right? It's not necessarily a punishment, But there is a certain thing of Adam seeking Eve and then becoming one flesh, right? Mm -hmm. There's a satiation there, a fulfillment, a happiness. But then Mm -hmm. he, so in this, when he shows that there's, this is really ingrained in our human nature, but he also points out to like, what about the Old Testament prophets, right? There's some deep, there's some texts that we like would feel uncomfortable reading out loud. If you see that actually the entire context between God and Israel, like at Sinai is a marriage covenant. Right. And in Jeremiah, God's just like, you were this naked girl out in a field. and were nothing. And I decided to take you as my bride, right? And he even talks about your breasts were fully formed. I mean, God tells Jeremiah like this very erotic description of Israel. Mm-hmm. He takes her as her his bride. He washes her, right? He fine linens, jewels, right? He takes the whole, her whole. The whole
2: book of Song of Songs is... Yeah, it would be another basically, example. Basically, yeah. Right?
0: It's also the context by which we understand why God seems to contextualize uh, idolatry as idolatry, right? As adultery, right? Uh-huh. And so, because there's actually um, a sin against husband and wife in this. right? So, Pope Benedict paints this picture, right? As this, there is this deeply erotic tradition and that God himself has taken our common, what you might call like a common eros, the love of man and woman, and used it as an analog to explain humanity's relationship with God. And so it's deeply ingrained, I think, in our own spirituality, particularly like throughout the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, it's quite clear because again, Christ plays this out. He is the groom. Mm-hmm. We are the bride. Right. Right. He, we become mm-hmm. one flesh with him, right? He becomes the head we are the body that's how we enter into trinitarian love is being accepted in his body right and what do we see we see in the holy eucharist we become one flesh with him right i mean mm-hmm. there's just deeply erotic strata that runs through scripture that whether it's because of like bourgeois morals or puritanism we tend to kind of set aside right it's just that's too intense right that sounds odd like I don't think sex in my spiritual life It sounds have impure. Anything to do. I must right.
2: be interpreting this wrong
0: Right. It's like, and I think Song of Solomon like you said is a good <coughs> example of this
2: mm. as well. Right, I mean because right. that's essentially a love song of the church to his you know, to the bride uh, at the time right? I mean it's an Old Testament version of the bridegroom mm. and the bride but...
0: At times which is very explicit. Right. right? But oh, yeah. just like Eros itself, Song of Solomon works on multiple levels. Yeah. It's a husband and wife but it's also Christ in his church. Uh It's God in humanity. So it plays out.
2: Okay. We've got a lot more to say about this. (laughs) Good. That was a lot of talking. So like take this break process. We're going to keep going. We'll be right back.
1: There's a common thread among thousands of formerly sinful people. We now call saints. They had a relationship with God. Which then inspired them to set the world on fire, as St. Catherine and Siena put it. But more importantly, and more specifically, it meant they put in the time. They sat with the Lord. They spoke with Him. They listened to Him. Daily. They unveiled their hearts and wounds and problems to Him. They offered Him thanks and gratitude. They left their sufferings with Him on the altar. They begged for His help. So my question to you is, are you putting in the time? I know that I've sat in front of the church or sat in adoration, making this mental grocery list of things that I want. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about time to build a consistent, honest relationship, time to speak, and time to listen. Dave and I have talked about on the show before that if you don't have an adoration hour once a week, are you really taking your faith life seriously? Are you really taking your prayer life seriously? But sometimes uh, you need a guide to help you in this holy hour. And so Exodus 90 has specifically put together a guide for you to help with your Holy Hour. In the show notes, you'll find a simple breakdown that shows you how to structure your time with the Lord. So this guide is also mobile-friendly. If you go to exodus90.com slash TCMS, that's TCMS, the Catholic Man Show, exodus90.com slash TCMS, you can get a free mobile-friendly guide on how to structure your Holy Hour. Highly recommended. Go check it out. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. Sitting here drinking a little bit of Talsker 18-year, a delicious scotch. Which is just getting better. It really you know, is. A good scotch, See. it impresses
2: you at first, but then it keeps getting better, right? Mm-hmm. Mm, this one is doing that.
1: Yeah, it, it is very good. Sitting here talking with Deacon Garlic on the topic of Eros. Deacon, is it is it odd for us to understand this, especially as men, like this topic of Eros, because it's odd for us as men to interpret the, the receiving end of things, like, you know, as a, like, we're the bride of Christ. So, like, the idea of this is is hard for us to interpret as men being the receiver instead of the giver.
0: Yeah, I think in a, in a certain way. I think is Catholic spirituality, in certain ways, is deeply feminine, right, because mm-hmm. we receive this.
1: And they're just holier women. Right, yeah. General. I mean, they are. Right. And, and Yeah, the high, I mean, the highest, creature, looking, the right. highest <laughs> right. creature in our creation, <laughs> yeah. right, is right. a woman.
0: Right. So... Yeah, I think that in certain ways... I think in other ways, though, it's just because simply we've lost it, right? St. John of the Cross has a deeply erotic text, right? I mean, how he talks about his spirituality, his relationship with Jesus Christ, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And he definitely puts himself in a a receiving... very receptive, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, though, I mean, because of whatever you want to blame, our current understanding of these songs, which I think there are many, it's a text that sometimes we're deeply troubled with, right? Because we're not used to talking about our spirituality. I mean, Teresa of Avila,
1: you read some of her stuff... When, she, when Yeah, I mean, I there's mean even, she's like, in, in prayer great, and she's talking about like, the, the ecstasy of prayer. And you're mm-hmm. like, wow, this, this kind of makes you blush, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah,
0: she's another one that if you actually read, you know, because there's that great statue, right, of her actually being stabbed um, <coughs> with, you know, by basically an
2: Eros figure, uh-huh. right,
0: this winged figure. She's being stabbed and she's in ecstasy, which Pope Benedict will talk about. There's a deep relationship between. But it's a
2: little bit scandalous because, mm-hmm. I mean, it looks like she's, in like climax almost. you know. Yeah, well
0: actually it's more scandalous if you read her actual text because she talks about <laughs> right moaning. She uh-huh. talks about like well it hurt in the beginning and then it was pleasurable. Mm-hmm. Right? And you're reading this and you're like I can't read this out loud to people. Like what's You're happening? a nun. Right. <laughs> yeah. So again I think that you know there's multiple reasons. I think one is a certain Puritanism that wants to Mm -hmm. say, hey, all this, anything to do with erotic love gets put away. It's actually even just wrong to begin with, right? Sexuality in general is almost like defective. Um, And there's another one I think of, just like this bourgeois morality of just like, you know what, you're just taking your Catholic life a little too seriously, right? You're just taking it too seriously, right? Just do what you gotta do, et cetera. You don't have to be weird about it. But like comparing like, you know, your relationship with Christ to like a climax or like whatever, like please just stop, right? Not necessarily because it's, like, gross, but because, like, that can't be real. No one actually has that type of relationship with Christ, right? It's, we've just flattened things.
2: Well, I have this theory. This is just my own personal theory. This should the, be good. Has, oh, this would be good. Very little weight, but that, Oh, hold on. Can everybody... Juicy. Just,
1: just Yeah, just, everybody, yeah. take a second. Yeah. Sit down, or... Get out your paper and yeah. pen. But P- pour a drink.
2: The moment when the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, yeah. that she experienced the most physical pleasure in that moment that any person has ever experienced or will experience in all of existence, you
0: pulled that from anything, or
2: just like no? Here? That's just my own. That's my own theory. Because she who was so pure right. would have been like. There's just something. There's like this link between mm-hmm. pleasure and like net pleasures, healthy, you know, like ordered, ordered pleasure and holiness, sanctification. And it just right. seems to me that that would have been. She would have experienced <clears throat> a because she had the capacity to. And because it was fitting and like right, it seems that that would have been an, a moment of just literally out of this world pleasure for her.
0: Yeah, I think, yeah, I think there's merit to that. I think too, it tethers to, you know, some of the commentary that notice that as soon as this happens to her, she has to leave, right? She has to go away and mm-hmm. she goes to Elizabeth. And so there are commentaries that like she became so radiant and was so beautiful in that, that her out of her own humility, she just had to literally get away from other people. Because what she was mm. and what she had just experienced, right, this pure reception of the will of God just so elevated her, even in like a physical way, mm. that she actually had to get away like a, mo- Like Moses
2: almost, yeah. you know, very similar to yeah. Moses, right. Huh. Fascinating. Huh. I did not so know So I, I think
0: there's, uh, yeah, Dr. Melosh of the Alckmin Institute likes to, uh, that's kind of a guidepost. I think he, he likes to mention that when okay. talking about Mary.
2: Yeah, and we talk about like the pregnant glow sometime. So yeah, the pregnant glow. He's like a natural
1: thing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So imagine if that's Jesus or right. God right? And, inside, and you're perfect,
1: right? So, <laughs> I never thought about that. Yeah,
0: I think so. Um, I think there's a lot of reasons that it's hard today for us to adopt it as, Christ- as Christians. I think one is this simply because we've stopped talking about it. Um, mm. You know, a question that comes up a lot is like, okay, so you can point to these we might call erotic examples in like the New Testament, yep. right? Um, the reception of the Holy Eucharist, becoming one body with Christ, right? Mm -hmm. The analogs there uh, with the sexual relationship of male and female, right? Becoming one flesh. Mm -hmm. Uh, Typically not something that, like, I would give a homily on, but something that's deeply ingrained in our own spirituality.
2: Well, even just the correlation of marriage and the Trinity, you know, in the Trinity of the Father has love for the Son, the Son receives that love and gives it back. Mm -hmm. And that exchange of love is so real that it is the Holy Spirit. In marriage, the husband gives his love to the wife, his wife. She receives it and gives it back. And it's so real that nine months later, you have to give it a name. You know, right. like, it's just an analogy, but, you know, that's not on. That's not an accident.
0: Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the ways we find pushback here is that I think people say, well, where does the New Testament actually talk about eros? You know, because <clears throat> it's written in Greek. So where does eros come up? And the answer is, it doesn't right we have these like examples right these analogs if you will but we don't actually have like christ like giving a talk on like erotic love mm-hmm. and then saint paul obviously talks about agape all the time and so i think one of the ways to start to parse this out and this is uh, pope benedict and deus caritas est does this quite well is that, you know, he starts to kind of play out the tradition on this. Like, well, what what do we know as traditions? Is this something that we're just coming up with? Like, what's our own Catholic tradition? Talk about it, et cetera. Because there's a lot of Protestant scholarship that places agape and eros as competitive, right? So there's this— Interesting. St. Paul uh, gave us agape love, this self-sacrificial love, you know, this love like Jesus, and here's pagan Plato, Right, And they gave us a need love and a love that has to be satiated, a love that takes.
2: It's, it's a self-love.
0: Yeah. And it's like, well, see, this is all bad. And so you have to have this self-love. Mm. Pick up your cross and follow Christ.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, uh, yeah, I mean, there's famous scholarship uh, in a lot of different areas from the Protestant circles. And that goes back to them basically rejecting the entire Hellenized tradition and predicating a lot of their biblical interpretation on a myth that doesn't exist. And so part of the things that gets jettisoned with, oh, the Greeks are bad right, there's a pure biblical Hebrew faith apart from a Hellenized culture was Eros. Mm. So it gets, it gets pushed out against uh, pretty clearly. And unfortunately, as Catholics, I think we've actually adopted a lot of their presuppositions to mm. do that, right? Because I mean, you'll hear Catholics talk about like, yeah, there's agape love, that's like God's love, and then there's Eros, and that's like a negative love. That's like a self, a self you know, a selfish love. Mm. And Pope Benedict points out like, okay, the Protestants say it's competitive. There's also a good argument that there's no distinction between the two. So, you know, because you have the Greek fathers, and sometimes they use Eros for all the loves, like for everything, right? They'll talk about St. Paul in Eros. They'll talk about God as Eros. Uh, They'll go so far as to talk about Christ being like Eros, the God, and having uh, a bow and arrow and shooting people, right, to love him, right, when providence calls you uh, to him.
2: And in English, the fact that er Eros and shooting arrows... That's just a coincidence. That, I think so. Yeah, I mean, there's not really. a... I don't think the etymology there. Lines yeah, up.
0: I could be wrong, but I don't think so. Okay, so you know, one is that listen, they are, there's there's two there's two different cultures here. There's the Greek culture that really started to use eros. The Latins then like so. If you read like Saint Augustine, who has a deeply erotic text, right, talking about all these things he struggled with, sure, and then, like, et cetera. And it, by the way, I think a proper reading of the Confessions is that you see him discovering. The ladder of erotic love. Yeah, and moving N- up the and ladder. Upward. Right. right. So he actually, but he's writing in, in Latin, so he talks about a more right. So one of the problems is is that you know, the Western tradition starts using a different word. The Greek tradition's using arrows for almost everything, because they're adopting a Neoplatonic mindset. And then the medieval's uh go straight Latin. And so it's like, what word are they using there? So one one camp is just like it's all intermingled, right? And so yeah. like they're not competitive, but they're also not distinct. Pope Benedict, I think, pulling from a very um, sound tradition, says, at least for pedagogical reasons, we can look at them as two different movements of the soul. So Eros is an ascent. Eros draws you upward. It is God calling you. So, you know, we hear that divine voice, the true beloved, right? Our actual beloved. And he calls us through many things. It might be the beauty of a woman. And that's something, again, that's very foreign to us, right? Yeah.
1: can't. I'd like to talk about that a little bit, like parse that out yeah. a little bit, because I think that is so foreign to us the idea of the beauty of a woman bringing us closer to to Christ. I think it happens all the time. Go to go go to your nearest RCIA. Yeah.
2: Uh, class right. and, and ask how many men. It's like, wh- why are you joining the church? Well, I'm getting married and my right. wife's Catholic. <laughs> like it happens
1: all the time. Yeah, but that's not
0: a. a that's I know it's not exactly degree. what you're talking right. about. Right. But. No, but I, I mean, I think you could parse. There's there's something deeper going on there, right? Of why why would that man concede so much?
2: Yeah. to this yeah. this woman, right? And take on a lot. I mean, the Catholic Church, Correct. is not. It's that's Didn't not an easy. Mean, yeah, faith. You know, yeah. that's. Yeah, it's not like changing gems or something, you know? Hopefully not.
0: So I think that, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. well, I think there's a lot of uh, talking about the beauty of a woman and how does that lead us to God. I think that, you know, we have several texts that talk about this. So we already talked about the pagan side. You have the symposium, which makes this argument explicitly that as you love someone, it might start off very artificially. I don't mean, I mean that necessarily as a pejorative but then you come to know them as a person. You, you come Just know the them. exterior, you see right. their, their physical beauty. Right. Right. Which, it, I mean, you know, even Thomas says like, okay, that's all accidents, right? But accidents add much. Sure. Right? I mean, right. they add much, <laughs> right. right? So right. there's a reason that you were attracted to your wife, et cetera. So I think that what we see is there's a natural thing that we know this. Think of how many times even wisdom itself, so wisdom brings us to God, is personified as a woman, right? So we see this in the Old Testament wisdom literature, right? So wisdom is created by God. She's there with God. She helps God create this. The the uh, Old Testament writers are pining after her, right? Yeah. Um, and then probably the most famous example in poetry is is Dante's following after Beatrice. There it is, right? Dante follows <laughs> after Beatrice through hell. Yeah. Why? For the love and beauty of a woman, and he has to mature mm-hmm. to take that beauty from her to then satiate in beauty itself.
2: Okay got one more segment. We'll be right back.
1: Hey, I'm Adam Minahan, and this is David Niles from The Catholic Man Show. And we are so excited because we are going
2: on pilgrimage to Ireland. We're going this September, September 15th through the 24th. We're going to go to some amazing Catholic places in the country. As you know, the Catholic tradition in Ireland is so deep and rich. And... While we're there, we're also going to be visiting some distilleries, if you can even imagine that, you know, us, the Catholic Man Show. So we're going on basically <laughs> a cathedral and distillery pilgrimage to Ireland. It's going to be awesome.
1: And, and because we're going on a, a distillery tours that are not typical for the tourists, Dave, we're not taking a bunch of people. We're not taking 60 people. We're not taking 50 people. We're capping this off at 30 people because we want to be able to That's have That's it. it. We're, we want it to be intimate. We want it to be able to uh, go to places that normal tourists don't get a chance to go to. Uh, so go to Select International Catholic Man Show for more information.
2: Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan. And Archdeacon Harrison Garlic. We're talking about Eros. Okay. not
1: you made Jim blush once. I know.
2: Well, that's because, you know, like, Harrison is also really a pretty good target. Uh, like, when it comes to, like, you know, calling you Archdeacon or Lord Chancellor, like,. Mm-hmm. You let it get to you, and like that's why we keep doing it. I think. I mean, just
0: yeah, enjoy that. Juan's put that on the title for the show. That's great.
2: Look at that.
1: Oh yeah, mm-hmm.
2: so like I, as, I, as a big brother, let me just let me just tell you. Whenever my little brothers and sisters like <laughs> would try to do something to me, even if it like killed me inside, they didn't know it.
0: Yeah, I think at least I have to have some kind of feigned like disgust, uh, just in case like you know Bishop watches this on Monday. <laughs> Actually, Monday's his day off. On Tuesday, yeah. and he's like why'd you have all these people call you Archdeacon? I'm like, did you watch the video? I clearly <laughs> shook my head. I said, I do not agree with this or Lord Chancellor or the 19 other titles I have. I do not do that. Please note, pull, roll the tape. Right. Roll the tape. <laughs> roll the Wind tape. it back. I actually have video proof that yeah. I did not agree. So <laughs> Very you, good. Very good. If you've
1: been listening uh, on on the radio or a podcast, go check us out on the stream. We just had a, a good conversation on Dante uh, in between segments. Yes. Uh, if you recall, we had a, a whole episode on hell, I don't know, a few weeks, maybe a month or two ago. Yeah. And uh, in that episode, we claimed that we would have Deacon Garlic back on once we had once we, we finished, finished Dante Dante's yeah. Inferno uh, to talk about hell again. And we're actually very close to finishing. This week, we'll finish. Yeah. Correct. Um, which is...
2: It, I'm excited about
1: I gotta tell you, I'm thankful... To have like the group that we had when reading Dante, because I oh, feel absolutely. like I would have I would have quit halfway through. I feel like that reading it, I've been like, yeah, okay, this is great. I'm not really getting a whole lot out of this. Uh, I'm gonna I have other things I want to I read. W- do
2: want to get back to Eros, Because you know, I know you're right, you're right. But this, this could sidebar the whole segment. <laughs> I'm right sorry, here. I'm right. sorry,
1: but like I, I appreciate like there's just so much to it that I, I right I, I wouldn't have. Well, let's segue by the fact that Dante
0: pursues Beatrice. Right? He's pursuing a beautiful woman, and it's for that love, right? Divine providence kind of sends him on this journey, particularly through Mary. And now he's pursuing this beautiful woman, and that's really his impetus for going through the inferno and purgatory and things like this.
2: And before we get to this, uh, there's one thing I also have to mention, is that we are going on a pilgrimage (laughs) to Ireland, which has nothing to do with Eros, uh, except that we're going to be drawn there by our love for Christ to go and uh, pursue Him on a pilgrimage, um, which is you know, uh, you know, you could call that erotic. The way we're everything's moving. erotic, yeah, everything is. So please go and like, you got to come with us. We're going to basically we're going to have mass at an awesome Catholic place every morning. Father Sean Donovan with Father He's Sean going with us, John Donovan, good. who's excellent, excellent priest. We're going to be going to distillery after distillery. Uh, holy place after holy, holy place, place after holy place. We're actually checking having, out the uh, Catholic sites of Ireland. We're
1: having a mass on a uh, Irish rock outside. The yes. traditional Latin mass celebrated on an Irish rock outside. Um, should be epic.
2: It is going to be awesome. Just like St. Patrick did.
1: Back in the time. It's right. In the day. Just like St. Patrick. It's a so Wednesday. Go to select international daily mass
2: tours. No, yeah. I messed that up. I, what is it?
1: Yeah, it's selectinternationaltours.com. Dot com, yeah. Slash Catholic Man okay. There it is. I got it right. Yeah. There it is. Boom. Okay, Eros. All right, so erotic love. Uh, where were we? Yeah,
0: so there's there's three ways to look at it. One, they're competitive between agape and Eros, right? These two, it's St. Paul's agape versus uh, Plato's pagan Eros. I think there's a profound misread that's uh, satiated or saturated in Protestant thinking. Mm hmm. Uh, One is that, and then the second one is that simply that they're they're too conflated, right? The different traditions are using these words interchangeably. They're just the same. Yeah, they're just the same. And again, as we said— And in some ways that's true. In in some some ways that is true. Yeah. Yes, that is true. I mean, I think the, you know, if you look at Gregory of Nyssa and a lot of the the Greek church fathers, they they just strictly use Eros for everything, right? Eros died upon the cross. Eros, Christ is Eros. Christ is, you know, shooting us with arrows. Um, you know, Christ, they use language, everything's a a language of ascent, right? So they'll talk about a ladder, they'll talk about a mountain, they'll talk about us having wings, us being like fire, right? We go up. Mm -hmm. Uh, He he even talks about uh, one image I found particularly striking of we all have like a chain connected to our soul that is connected to God, and it's climbing those links up Mm. and up and up to find, you know. So it's all of this ascent. How How do we actually... Uh, rise in our spirituality, I think. The third kind of way to look at it, uh, following Pope Benedict, is that they're not competitive, um, but in the midst of them being used in different traditions, we can still parse them out and provide some clarity um, for pedagogical reasons. That agape, well, that eros is an ascent, right? We go, we move towards God, and that's a natural love. We all have that, right? We all seek to be satiated. We all have a need love. C.S. Lewis, uh, who's Decent on the subject in his book, The Four Loves, actually talks about it in the intro that he was going to do this. He was compare agape, which was good, to eros, which was bad. And he realized in his studies this was incorrect, that need love is actually a good natural love, right? We need to be satiated. We're designed to be fulfilled, to feel whole, things like this, and that can drive us upward towards God. Um, I don't think he has the full view of it. Um, your boy, Joseph Pieper, actually is quite good on the subject on his essay on love, in faith, hope, and love. Uh, Yeah, to
2: the peepster. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: He's quite good on this subject, actually. Most subjects that he uh, takes on, he's quite good. Yeah, he's very good. So, um, you know, so anyway, we have this Eros that leads us upward. So how does this correspond with agape? Well, agape is basically caritas, right? It's charity. And we know that's a supernatural virtue, right? It's a theological virtue, which means it actually only comes to us by coming to know God, right? We have to have his sanctifying yeah. grace. We go through baptism. And then once we receive it, it acts like a habit, right? We have to habituate ourselves to it. So what Pope Benedict does is he says, listen, we have this erotic love, this eros, that leads us up this ladder towards God. But then once we meet him, right, we're actually satiated in him. We find that fulfillment. We find beauty itself. And it's only in throwing myself into beauty itself into that abyss that I actually feel whole then we can experience agape. We can ha- and then agape, in certain ways, is the opposite. It's a selfless love. It's a giving love. Yeah. And so you see these two movements of the soul. In certain ways, you see this very clearly in the saints. And this is why you have to understand erotic love, because like we look at like Mother Teresa and we say, oh my gosh, how could she just give and give and give? Like, How does someone give that love and not receive anything back? And we tend to think to ourselves, well, you know, she just doesn't need love in return. And that's actually terribly wrong. Oh, yeah. It's actually that she's so saturated in her erotic love for God, which you know, she's a particular example because of her dark night and things like that, but it's what Providence provided for her. Right. She is so saturated in that that it overflows. And she can give that agape love freely because she's being satiated on Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I think you see this in the gospel, and even how we evangelize sometimes is wrong, right? Like, if we're going to meet someone that we want to be Catholic, it's like, why should I be Catholic? And you're like, you should pick up your cross and follow Jesus. And you're like, that makes zero sense to me.
2: Well, that sounds Hard pass. Right, like, why that sucks. Like, why would I do that? Right.
0: But Christ, actually, if you pay attention to his words, he says, hey, I have, right, living water in me you will never thirst again. In me, you will never hunger. He actually evangelizes through this satisfaction. You will be sated, right? And it's only in that satiation that then in God, right, in coming to know him, having his sanctifying grace, that agape starts to blossom. And so Pope Benedict Mm. then says, Mm. listen, if Eros leads us upward to God, and then we meet God, and that's where we have agape, and agape is what we can share then with others, right? We kind of, he points it as a descent or descending down." to other people, then, you know, we have this pagan example of the ladder, right? We Okay, we go up to God. But Pope Benedict says there's this upward movement and then a downward movement. And he actually points that the perfection of the pagan idea of this ladder of erotic love is perfected in Jacob's ladder, that the angels are moving up and down, up and, down. and up and down. And this is the spiritual life, right? I am satiated in God. Because even once Eros... Right, your erotic love. Once you actually do meet God and you have that sanctifying grace, right, it's elevated, it's perfected, and this is what you see in Saint John of the Cross. You see it in uh, Teresa of Avila, right, as we discussed. You see it in Gregory of Nyssa is a famous example of this. He uses erotic loves all the time. He's actually writing to a Greek audience, trying to like write on the life of Moses. Of like, why why is Moses actually a great like philosopher or like a great thinker? Well, Moses ascends Mount Sinai, right. He goes up.
2: And then, descends with, and then the, he descends with the commandments, yeah.
0: yeah. St. Paul does the same thing, right? He talks about going up into the third heaven and then coming back down into his missionary. Christ mm-hmm. does the same thing. He goes up for the transfiguration and then yeah. he comes down into his passion. There's this upward and downward movement in the spiritual life. And it just, but it's actually cycling you up because once Eros, your natural love, is perfected through sanctifying grace, then you really see this in like St. John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila, etc. that that erotic love to be satiated in God um, goes to higher planes, if you will. Uh, yeah. Gregory of Nyssa talks about Moses slipping into the bright darkness of God on the top of Mount Sinai, right? Hmm. Which is just a a, a beautiful, beautiful hmm. phrase. Dark. We we forget that. The scripture used darkness to describe God. Yeah, I mean it
2: does. I mean, especially in Moses's, mm-hmm. you know, like the cloud descends and it's like you couldn't see anything right. up there, right? It was like the terrifying. psalmist will talk about that too. Yeah. So
0: there is this upward and move upward movement and downward movement, and I think that Pope Benedict points out. And then, you know, kind of. So what does this mean? I, I, our relationship with God does it have anything to do with our relationship with our neighbor? Right? Because you think of like the you know the greatest commandment, right? Well. We kind of forget sometimes that Christ tells us to love our neighbor as... As we love ourselves. As ourselves. Yeah.
2: And your self-love... So there's a a presupposition there that obviously you're going to love yourself. Correct. You're not just going to be this agape machine. It's like, no, I don't even love myself. All I do is love other people. I think it's actually how people get spiritual burnout.
0: Yeah. Because they're not satisfied in God. And -hmm. therefore, they're giving love when they really need love in return. And we forget that their erotic love is for the saints is so deeply satiated, they can do these wonderful works and love their neighbor.
2: So climax, erotic love, right. satiated in prayer life. Right. So the
0: seminal point is that if there's a... <laughs> right, you like that? <laughs> there is an ascent and a descent right, in the spiritual life.
2: Okay. <laughs> I still have a lot of things I want to talk about. Right. Uh, if you want the rest of this conversation, check us out on YouTube, uh, the Catholic Man Show YouTube channel. We're on the Lord's the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your glass. Cheers and cheers to Jesus.
1: That was great. I wrote well, an article. That's the best
2: pun I've heard my whole life.
1: <laughs> I wrote well. It's
2: I've lived yeah, for I mean, thirty three years. Never heard pun. That's, that's good.
0: good. You're free to borrow it. I mean, I think that yeah, I wrote this in defense of Eros for you know, and then Adam and Richard sat me down and talked to me about like how we can't publish some of these phrases in the EOC. Uh, which is fine. It was a role reversal. So, um, but what what I was great is that uh, I talked about like seminal text. Completely made it through the edits. Like it just snuck right in
2: there. And you, there, did you do it on purpose? Yeah. Oh okay, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, oh, but,
0: yeah. But but I mean, it, it's a word though that already bears both meanings. Okay. Right? So let's say you're a seaman. <laughs> <laughs>
2: right. But a uh, Father Brian Ketterer joined us in the Navy, of course, yeah. Yeah, right. and said that he really liked your article. So, oh, that's kind. can you say that, you know, where can I find this article if oh, you want to read yeah. some more? Oh, yeah.
0: So, Adams helps out with that. So, it's on the Alcuin Institute website. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you can go on there and they have a musings button. You can click the musings button and it breaks it down into essays, which is like a long form, musings, short form, and then homilies. Um, and so, it's under essays. It's like 2,500 words if or If so.
1: you go to alcuininstitute.org on the search bar, click arrows. Type in arrows. <laughs> Right, you will find that. Maybe don't it on Google whole, though.
0: There's not a whole lot of things. Yeah, be careful with uh, googling erotic love. Definitely right. don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. That's, Make sure your parental that. your
2: parental settings yeah. are on if you're gonna right. do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, like, one of the things that the thing about this whole conversation that I think resonates the most with me as just like a regular person is this idea of erotic love being something that moves me. Like as a like catalyst for movement towards God, Mm -hmm. Um, because to me that explains that explains a lot of the even like things I already assumed about eros. You know that like oh that it's just this erotic sexual love. Well, like well there's still like a movement. I can you you feel yourself being drawn to the beauty of a woman Um, and drawn in not just a visual way but in like a complete way. It's you know when you're drawn when you see a beautiful woman and You feel that, you know, like you're compelled towards her almost. It's not just like, oh, I want to sit and look at her. Right. No, no, no. You're drawn to her all the way. You know, all of you is being drawn to her, which I think is kind of the point of of eros that you're all of you, every every part of your being is made for this, and that's why I'm responding in this complete. Like all of a sudden, I have this desire to give myself completely to this. To this thing, right. to this, pr- this being that I've, I've seen here, you know, I imagine this is exactly how Adam felt when right. he when he saw Eve and said, "At last, bone of my bones." Or flesh Adam in, with Haley. Or Adam Minahan, yeah, yeah like exactly Haley. when he well saw when he well saw done. Haley. You know, so like pa- Pamela and I, we do the Catholic Engaged Encounter retreats, and like one of the things we do at the very beginning as an icebreaker is we have each couple say, like, "What was the what was the first thing that attracted you to your fiance?" And none of them have the guts ever just to say, like, look, I just thought she was hot. Right. <laughs> you know, and like, I know for a fact, at least for all the men, I don't understand what it is about, what it is in women that attracts them to us. Okay. Right. I know. They, not a lot. Yeah, it's I don't, like, I just don't get that, you know, but right. I know all the men in the room. It's like, well, I thought she was hot and I thought maybe <laughs> I'll go talk to her. You know, and it's yeah. like, that's the truth, but none of them can say it.
0: Yeah. I think, yeah. And our tradition plays this out. I mean if you think of some of the churches in Europe that we couldn't even build here because it'd be so scandalous, but like the virtues are often shown as beautiful women, yeah. right? These mm-hmm. things that, that we long for, right? That uh, the sight of a beautiful woman can awaken in you something that wasn't actually there before, right? Cause this isn't like a beautiful statue or a painting or et cetera. All of a sudden like here's an ensouled intelligent thing mm-hmm. that you just find beautiful, and it speaks, I think, particularly to the masculine heart. Dante, you know, Dante's writing at a time in which uh, there's a lot of, like, courtly love poetry. And Dante's famous for turning this on its head. So Beatrice, for him, was like this, you know, childhood, um, basically, not even a friend. Just this childhood acquaintance that he had. He saw,
1: like, three times.
0: Yeah, that for some reason just enamored her. And she died early. Enamored right? him. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Enamored him. And she died early. And so she becomes literally like his muse right Mm -hmm. and obviously the the divine comedy is an example of that but he writes some poetry too and it's it's interesting in his poetry he will it's like courtly love right he's talking about how beautiful she is and etc but then he'll switch the pronouns and he'll say like you know your beauty you know was you know incomprehensible etc and it led me to his love And Dante really plays this out, that the beauty Hmm. of a woman can lead him to God. And our our Catholic art plays that out. The Old Testament Lady of Wisdom plays that out. Uh, Boethius, right, talks about the Lady of Philosophy and and, um, Consolation of Philosophy, right? He contrasts her with Lady Fortune, right, which is another false allurement, right? And so there are these things within our tradition that point to this beauty unlocking something, particularly in the masculine soul, to rise, right? To go up the yeah. ladder.
2: And I can relate to this only, I mean, a little bit, just a tiny bit, in my own spiritual life, um, progressing, falling, you know, like more and more in love with Christ, having those moments in prayer where you just you just want to be like resting your head on his chest and just mm-hmm. like, like asking him just to hold you, you know, and there's just, there really is, a good analogy. Well, it's not an analogy, it just is really happening. This idea of movement like, mm-hmm. I am being just drawn almost, you know, like you fall in love with a woman, you fall in love with Christ. It's not the same, but um, you do like right pursue him in that way where you you want him, he's the he's the object of my desire.
0: I think the Eucharist, I mean, you know, not. Wanting to scandalize too much, but I think the Eucharist is actually a deeply erotic act, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, it's receptive. You're, you're eating right? it, right? You're receptive, yeah. Yeah. right? it's um, literally
2: is, becoming into my body, right? You know?
0: You're becoming one flesh of Jesus Christ. It's, it's how you are saved, right? You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, and I think, yeah, if we're, if we're parsing out our own spiritualities, like the as a deacon, you know, I'm still privileged to take of the chalice and. For me, for whatever reason, that act itself, right, to be inebriated, right, to be yeah. satiated in that blood, mm-hmm. right, just to to cover me. Uh, I grew up charismatic, and so there was a lot of like pleading the you blood. Did? Yeah, I grew up very charismatic. That surprises like, me, Like, or Roberts level.
2: Uh, no kidding. You, yeah. should, you
1: didn't know this. Yeah, YouTube, no. de- you should, YouTube, Harrison oh, no. Garlic, charismatic. No, I'm just <laughs> Yeah, there's, There, there, I, I, am renewal. With, there yeah. I am with
0: gold glitter running <laughs> just around slain my banner. in the spirit. <laughs> but, no, there actually is. Carrying there, snakes. Right. There <laughs> is a, uh, I didn't get that far. Um, there is actually an a EWTN Catholics Come Home episode that I did a while back that actually talks about my progression no, no, from no that into that. Yeah, I did okay. that when I was in law but school.
1: Even in about inebriating, there's a,
2: that prayer that comes after Mass or after Communion. It's like and I'm a Christian. Yeah. But yeah I know, I know. I know. And it's like blood of Christ, inebriate me. Mm-hmm. And how yeah. you're like asking for that inebriation. Well,
0: I guess what I was leading to there is that, you know, when I grew up charismatic, we talked about pleading the blood a lot. And when I became Catholic, I really severed a lot of my previous spiritual um, habits, mainly because I distrusted them and I, I wanted to lean completely on the church. And so I was very pleased to find then, actually in the condemnation of Martin Luther and that papal bull, it actually pleads the blood over the church. It talks about sprinkling the blood of Jesus mm-hmm. over the church to help her, you know, from obviously this great depravity uh, mm-hmm. that she's suffering. So one thing too, I think, that's important to to realize, because those who are familiar with the Symposium will know that that some of the Symposium uh, goes off the rails from our perspective, right? Looking back at it now, um, and even from a natural standpoint of how it articulates this love, right? But Pope Benedict very clearly will talk about that one of the great things about Hebrew erotics, right? So you have like the Greek erotics and how to be skilled in erotics, but the Hebrew erotics is that in the story of Adam and Eve and then God using our common eros as an analog for our relationship with him, it makes it very clear that the telos, the end of common common eros, is marriage. Right, which is not something you're actually going to find amongst the Greeks, hmm. right? They have this ladder, hmm. but that, that doesn't that doesn't play out.
2: Marriage wasn't like that, well that, I mean it wasn't obvi- obviously it wasn't a sacrament for them, you know and well, yes, and for them, marriage was like, okay, yeah, your wife, you know for instance, like Ar- Aristotle, you couldn't even have a uh uh you know you couldn't reach the highest level of friendship with your spouse because she wasn't on the same level with you.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because Socrates will talk about...
2: Socrates. Like, yeah. Particularly no, on like... The, Aristotle, the, Aristotle, yeah.
0: yeah. Socrates will talk about like on that first kind of level of Eros, um, your love, It's it's strictly limited. The common Eros is particularly limited to man and wife, right? Because male and female. Because Eros always seeks that which is immortal. And so there's a natural immortality that comes from marriage, which is your children. Yeah. Right. So your children lead you on, and so that's the the fruit of that. Where I think he gonna he goes off the rails even on a natural level is that then when he goes up to the the higher levels of virtue, honor, glory, etc., then in that level, you know, he makes room for homosexual relationships, right? Because it's hmm. it's too higher. It's men engaging in sexuality, which is seen as like a higher. So the, this is also some of the problem with eros is that. The principal pagan text on it is a symposium, which, then when you read through that, um, because some of that homosexuality particularly is then contextualized in like a, a relationship between older men and younger men, yeah, right. It it seems very scandalous. You are like, I, I I can't. This is a train wreck, and I don't want anything out of it. But I think the the issue we need to see is that a lot of our early church fathers, particularly from Neoplatonism, pulled a body from that train wreck, which was the pagan insight, this natural insight of eros is the ascent, this ladder going up, is actually quite true. Mm-hmm. And they, they're seeing through a glass darkly, and so yeah. they're gonna get some things wrong, clearly. Uh, but perfected by grace, you know, we can see that this ladder, and then perfected in Jacob's ladder, this movement of the soul, uh, actually bears a lot of wisdom, and, and a lot of guidance for the spiritual life.
2: So one thing that I wanna make sure we get to before we wrap up, is this idea of, with context of movement, The unmoved mover. Oh, yeah. And how does the unmoved mover who never moves move all things to himself? Yeah. Just talk. I don't know if that's a question, but just like, yeah. No, so,
0: yeah. Sometimes it's talked about that, like, Aristotle doesn't talk about Eros the way that Plato does. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you'll see that, uh, you know, Plato's going to talk about, or excuse me, Aristotle's going to talk about the good, and he doesn't really talk about Eros as much. But In his metaphysics, he has to answer the question, you know, basically comes to the point of how does the unmoved mover move all things if the unmoved mover does not move, right? How does this actually work? Which is a legitimate question. And so when he um, he does that, uh, his answer is erotic love, right? That all things have this satiation. And it's actually not just... I mean, not to overly complicate it, but it's actually not just rational man, right? The rational animal. Uh You know, even in the pagan context, there's this understanding that all things in creation, right, are, are pining to get back to God and the one. And so I think you can actually draw some pretty clear lines between this pagan concept that there's this erotic love of creation seeking God, and then, like, things the psalmist says, right? Like you know, cold and chill, bless the Lord, right? Trees and grass, bless the Lord. Well, how do trees and grass bless the
2: Lord? I've never seen them bless the Lord.
0: So the idea here is that, you know, dolphins bless the Lord, right? He throws (laughs) that in. The idea there is that how does a tree bless the Lord? Well, a tree blesses the Lord by actually fulfilling its telos, by by being being a tree. tree. And what's interesting is, is that that's actually contextualized as eros, Mm -hmm. right? That it has a natural movement, To Mm -hmm. do what it's supposed to do, and in doing that, it perfect obedience. Yeah, yeah, it praises the creator. Yeah,
1: and I I, I don't want to be a consequentialist. Like I'm not trying. Like Adam, just you know, embrace it. Yeah, just embrace it. If you are, just no, that's not what I'm. But uh, for the guys who are, okay, this kind of piggybacks exactly what you were talking about. So and maybe uh, throws in selfishly a little bit of peeper. I don't know, Uh, but the idea of Of, okay, how do I cultivate mainly uh, this erotic love that would lead me towards God Mm
2: -hmm. and not Um, just
1: towards like hypersexuality? Yeah, exactly. So, like, this idea does leisure play a role in this? Like, does beauty play a role in this? It plays a role in everything. Yeah. Well, Piper, no, Piper's really good. So, Piper actually, when he talks
0: about this in his essay, which is, is quite good, is he talks about it in almost existential terms, right? There's this existential satisfaction that we will have. So I think that, okay, so what does this mean for me and my spiritual life and et cetera? I think that uh, in certain ways, GK Chesterton will talk about the guy knocking on the brothel doors looking for God.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that you need to understand that. So you need to understand that you can't put this all on your wife. And I think that's one practical thing is that, all oh, a sudden you're having marriage problems. Well, probably a lot of this is because you have unrealistic expectations of your spouse. They're not here to complete you they can't complete you you right. have an infinite thirst for happiness right there's erotic thirst and she is not infinite and she's not infinite and she's not going to do it so i think on a one practical basis is you have to change your expectations right a lot of a lot of just life in general is actually managing expectations and i think being that open, is so
2: true yeah. that is so true well Keep going. for
0: someone who's gone through a lot of transitions right now <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> I am but trying. really like that's my own mantra right now. Managing <laughs> expectations is right. like if you want to have yeah. better
2: relationships, work right. on that and yeah. you'll be way better off. The best text on that is uh
0: Father Balthazar, which was kind of this courtly wisdom uh Spanish priest. He has 300 <sighs> maxims on. Okay. So he's not
2: like the other Balthazar. No, not that one. Yeah. Okay, cuz we're uh, not a big fan of the other one. Yeah, I'll I'll table mm. that. And
0: so um he has like 300 maxims and a lot of them are actually dealing with expectations. So okay. How do, you, how do you deal with expectations around you? And also expectations that you set for yourself. Yeah. So, um, I just completely lost. That's okay. Like
2: growing, like, and like uh, Oh, practical. practical yes, yeah, yeah practical. practical things.
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, one of the things is, is that, you know, we're all made to know, love, and serve God. And they happen in that order, right? We, we can't love something if we don't know it. And if we love something, then we're going to want to serve it. And so I think sometimes we downplay the role of knowledge in the spiritual life. And so one thing is just understanding what Eros is. And so if you actually then have an understanding, because you understand Eros, you understand your own human uh, thirst, your own human appetites, and you can start to actually distinguish them and hopefully dissect them to a certain degree of like, well, what is okay to put on my spouse? What's not okay to put on my spouse? Or if I'm single, like what are my expectations for my future spouse versus things I should be working on right now that can't be doing that? Also, I mean... You know, pornography is a meat grinder for your erotic imagination. I mean, it's totally. just going to destroy it. And yeah. I, I cannot talk enough about just getting away from it. Because what the reason it's so successful is because we have this erotic thing that needs to be satiated. And it gives you this, like, just endless thing of, well, it must be in sex... So here's this endless supply of sexuality, right? Right.
2: And playing God, where I'm going to be like degraded, you know, like yeah, I place myself you know, anyway. Well,
0: it's also one reason I think that a lot of people, when you talk about porn and addiction and etc., that the this, they they lose the satisfaction and have to become more and more grotesque right. over time. Exactly. And it, that's actually a perverted mm-hmm. understanding of eros. Right. Yeah. And you're, it's
2: also a natural consequence.
0: Right. So you have this lesser good, and you're trying, or this lesser beauty, if we're going to talk about strictly in erotic terms. You have this lesser beauty that you're then distorting and corrupting and then trying to satiate in. So you have to realize that, one, you've got to get rid of that. It's ruining your erotic imagination. It's ruining your relationship with God. It's going to ruin your ability to ascend the ladder, right? Um, Because, yeah, your imagination is incredibly important. If you're going to read Dante, if you're going to read Gregory of Nyssa, you're going to read any of the saints that talk about this moving up, if your brain is saturated on that, it's it's like a dull instrument. Mm Mm-hmm to a certain degree. So I think, you know, those things of managing the expectation, but I think that, I think a lot of people look at God as one who gives mandates, not one who satisfies. Hmm. And I think that's one thing to talk about with Eros is like, no, God is there actually to satiate you. He yeah. actually is infinite goodness. And this is also, I mean, you can, you can jump to this quite quickly if you just ask people what heaven is, right? Cause if they don't understand the beatific vision, they don't even sort of understand the end. Then they don't understand like how they're going to be satiated in God. Mm-hmm. Then they don't understand how to seek it in this life either. Because right. I mean, you could, They're, they're mean,
1: not even complicating uh, con- contemplating the means. Yeah, it's like right. well, yeah, I he, have.
2: Go ahead. He says it all the time, like you know, come to me and your joy will be full, like right. you know, all the time. Because we kind of forget that like you know, a divine
0: mystical union with God in this life is available to the souls who seek Him, mm-hmm. right?
2: In Yeah, in this in life. In this life. Not, in, not just right. in the
0: next Because we talked about the natural happiness of, like say, limbo, right? Yeah. But then there's a supernatural happiness, and we can have that, albeit imperfectly, mm-hmm. but we can have it in this life as well. And this is what you see in these great saints, like St. Saint John of the Cross, and Teresa of Avila, Gregory of Nyssa. The mystics, I
2: mean, right. in general. Uh,
0: and probably the greatest one, um, particularly for kind of getting this off the ground. Mary, uh, Mary as always. Uh, St. Uh, Bernard of Clairvaux. Right, I mean, he does a commentary on Song of Solomons that just nails this. Hmm. It's, it's perfect, right? And he becomes this fountainhead of kind of recapturing this in a lot of the Middle Ages. Um, and then not to ruin too much, but this is integral to Dante. Because at the end of the day, when Dante is going to come up to the beatific vision, Beatrice fades away. Hmm. The, be- the beauty of the woman fades away.
2: Right, it just pales in comparison.
0: And yeah. who leads him to the beatific vision? Bernard, uh, saint Bernard of Clairvaux, hmm. right? This erotic, um, you know, saint, right, is the one that actually can lead him to the beatific vision for him to understand it. So even in Dante, there's this ladder hmm. of moving up, right? The the beauty of you the just woman ruined it for me. Just you it's know fine. That. It came out in the 1200s, so you can
2: deal with it. Right? Uh, watch, the, watch the movie. Right. I didn't come out in the 1200s. Right. Okay.
0: You know, but for the sake of rounding off uh, things for your readers or your listeners,
2: you yeah. Know. So my last question and then I think we've got to wrap this up, is that, like, I, I, we talked about this a little bit already, but I've always wondered, is there a, you know, the four Greek loves, you've got mm-hmm. Eros, you've got Storga, i have got Agape, and then philios. Is there a hierarchy? Because it, and I have I gone back and forth, I've Google searched this, mm-hmm. There's, I've got nothing, but it always seems to me like there has to be, these can't all just be like, oh, on the same level here. Like, that's not the way love works. You grow in it. So yeah. it seems to me after this conversation that, You start with Eros. Like this is, Mm -hmm. this is because it's, it is very, like you said, it's a, it's a self love. Right. So that's, it's a natural, Mm -hmm. it it like meets you at the lowest level um, of humanity could experience or begin to experience a level of of Eros.
0: Yeah. I think it's in certain ways first and last um, in the natural happiness. So when you have Eros and it moves you towards that. Right. Agape is, is clearly higher because it's a supernatural love, right. properly speaking. And it's a problem with agape, too, is that, going back to a previous conversation, Plato and Socrates, or Plato-Socrates, did not invent the term eros. It, it existed already. Yeah. Just like St. Paul did not invent agape. Okay, right. Right? He adopted yeah. agape yeah. to mean something. So that's another reason why some of these terms become conflated. Um, but, yeah, you have eros as a natural one, and then agape, as we're understanding the Catholic tradition... Is clearly higher, right? Well, I, then if you say like, well, what about Philios, right? Like Philadelphia, right? This, this city of brotherly love. Then that really can't, you know, you could make an argument that there's a natural friendship, but it has to be informed by Eros. Because again, you love others the way you love yourself. Yeah. And even Aristotle gets that, right? What is the highest form of friendship? Right? You wish the good the for good your friend. Right. Yeah. Well, you're not going to do that unless you wish the good for yourself.
2: It's not a friendship of utility or pleasure, Correct. which are once again erotic because mm-hmm. they're self-loves. They're like, right. oh, I, what do I get out of this?
0: So I think it's a higher self-love, right, that brings to that friendship that because I love myself properly, then I can love my friend. Right. So I think Eros certainly informs
2: Yeah, you're right. It still is a self-love because you still delight in the other so so mm-hmm. much that you desire mm-hmm they're good because that would bring you in fact more delight because they themselves are are the delight
0: yeah so friendship would be perfected by a higher form of eros and then would ultimately be perfected by a higher form of agape Um, and then storge is you know sometimes people even leave it out because it's only love by analogy because it's like i love the scotch Right? It's like I love a thing mm-hmm. and Aerosol actually talks about this isn't actually a true love because it's it's you know really well you can't have you can't have like okay,
2: so like, I've always heard it was like f- the love between family members or something.
0: It's usually contextualizes like the love between like like a thing okay right And so for instance, like Aerosol will talk about like you can't have friendship with a wine. Right, it's his example or, or like a horse. Play, you'll play
2: yogurt or. Right. You know. Yeah, whatever your example is. Uh,
0: simply because, like, you might wish it. I don't love you. You, you just, only you know. wish it good because you want to consume it. Yeah. And then it does nothing for you. Like, it wishes nothing for you because it's an object. So sometimes Storge gets uh, left out. Sometimes you'll actually see the three loves um, as opposed really? to four. Yeah. I, I know nothing. I just don't Lewis even talks know about. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just kind of. Pre- Lewis will talk about the four loves. I think in Deus Caritas Est, he only actually. I'm going by memory, so please forgive me if I misremember. He actually talks about the three loves. Okay. And he actually talks about, um, you know, eros, agape, and philios, not storge.
2: Last question for real this time: Yes or no? No, <laughs> oh, no. Is there eros in heaven?
0: Oh yes, of course. Okay. Yeah, because you would have to be. I mean, I say of course, and there's probably some like Thomas. Who's because it seems like right there's now.
2: nowhere else to move you've moved well where are you going well oh. okay
0: yeah so aaron or uh, adam and i actually had a, a lunch one time that dealt with this issue because at the chancery we're a bunch of nerds and this is what we do over mexican food this is what I so did i bring
2: up a good question so it is a good question yeah, so
0: i would say question, my, yeah. my wife
2: has to pick up her parents from the airport they're going to be late she's going to be late is that what, <laughs> is that what i'm inferring right
0: well i think that so in certain ways i i would say yes i i think i'm to be fair, probably channeling more of the the eastern side of the church. Okay, that shows that. Well, listen, you're <laughs> I do that all the time. You're being you're being <laughs> satia- you're being satiated in God, right? Right. You know that, everyone agrees with that, right? Like sure. So the beatific vision is a deeply erotic act. It's very intimate, right? So God, you don't have a phantasm of God. God actually enters your e- intellect as God Himself. Yeah. Right, which is and blows it up. Right, and just incredibly unique. Yeah. And so, obviously, you have it this is unique is a word for right. it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's unlike anything, right? That we, right. That we have. Yeah.
2: And so, that was a unique experience. Right? <laughs> so I would do that again. Yeah.
0: So, you know, we I think there is on both sides, east and west. There's an eros because you're being satiated. Yeah, plain and simple. Yeah. You're being satiated. Okay, right. The question then is. So I, I would say yes, right? Because in a certain ways, even more so because that is the beatific vision. I'm not really like, how do I give that love back, right? It's it's actually, I'm just completely satiated in yeah. that. Mm-hmm. The, I think what, why Adam laughed is because there's a distinction on our, so a lot of times the beatific vision is compared to like a cup, like being full, right? Or overflowing, but the size of cup can differ, right? So yeah. like the person can experience the beatific vision in a different way than like another person could or in greater and lesser ways. Yeah. Dante talks about this too. Aquinas talks about this, you know, et cetera. Yeah. And so, but one of the questions is, does the cup always stay the same, right? So when you satiate in God, are you just in this immediate, infinite forever, right? And that's where you are, right? Or as you satiate, are you learning more about God and then you're actually growing in that knowledge? Not to mean that there's not a, a false egalitarianism there, but are you growing in that? And so there are some differences between East and West on um, does does your erotic love, your capacity for God grow in the beatific vision in which we're all kind of expanding in our ability to do that, right? Obviously, always being overfilled because we can't. I mean, it's just a drop in the bucket. Right. But there's some different thoughts on that. So we don't know. Well, it depends. If you ask the Thomist, I think they're, they're pretty set that the answer is
2: no. That there is no Eros in heaven.
0: No, that there's no growth. There's no, there's no growth. Of, there's no growth of like a capacity.
2: But there is a sense of journeying like in heaven, right? I mean, that's that's, good, that's what they said hey, on. We're, we're the, getting outside my answer. That's what they say I'm on Catholic Answers. We'll, that's we'll answer I, it, that's when, I, that's it when, we <laughs> when we get to Paradiso. When we get to Paradiso, we'll answer okay. the
0: question. We had to bring on Aaron uh, Henderson, who we've already had on uh, to debate because he's he and I over Mexican food with the uh, mediation of Adam. Uh, had a, somewhat of a debate on this.
2: All I know is that there is obediential potency in heaven. <laughs> right. So Aaron at the Chancery gets all the obediential potency jokes and I get
0: all the Eros jokes. Right. Nice. nice. Yeah. The
2: downside is that there's probably a lot more Eros jokes than there are yeah. obediential potency jokes. Well, I think jokes. obediential potency everyone's like, oh, haha, And then like the erotic like, love jokes. Like the people who don't means. know what's happening are like, oh my gosh, what? Uh, what? <laughs> yeah. like, sorry, is your, your deacon's involved in erotic like, love? Right. We were like, I didn't know what the obediential potency was, but I laughed because everyone else was laughing. But mm. now we're now it's weird. Now we're making sex jokes. Yeah, and I'm no not one's scandalized by
0: that. obediential potency. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so
2: yeah, people have hung Eros uh,
0: signs on my door before at the chancery, which has been fun. That is hilarious on Valentine's Day. Yeah, <laughs> it was. epic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was good. That was is good. good. That's very good. And even people who didn't understand that I wrote an er- article on Eros were like, coming by and be like, "That's a good joke," and I was like. Wait, what do you think yeah, the joke is? Yeah,
2: but it's <laughs> yeah. more personal. Right. Well, Deacon, thank you very much for for uh, joining us today. Again, you wrote this article.
1: Catholic Answers. And also, uh, well, actually, not Catholic Answers. Not Catholic Answers, Alcuin Institute. Alcuin Institute. That's do next you potentially. Next week, yeah. Potentially uh, Catholic Answers. Yeah, um, well, we're
2: working on that. Are there any resources that you would... Okay, you said Deus Caritas Est. Yeah, so if you... Anything I mean, else? not
1: to Not to, like, plug this...
0: I tend to like citations. So, if you actually find the article on Alcuin Institute website, In Defense of Erotic Love, uh, there's a lot of citations on that. Okay. And so, you're going to deal with Plato's Symposium, uh, Deus Caritas Est. Uh, I also rely on Joseph Pieper a lot. Uh, C.S. Lewis writes mm-hmm. on this too, because I think there has to be a certain appeal to authority. Because when you start doing something, when you talk yeah. about erotic love and people aren't familiar with it, the first question is, well, is this your own idea or is this from tradition? Right. And the que- and the answer is it's from tradition. And so it's a heavily cited article to kind of show how that works.
2: Very good. All
0: right. Awesome. Well, thank you guys. And I appreciate it. And yeah. you're going to
1: be back on uh, Talk About Hell. Whenever you
0: guys want me to. Arrows and <laughs> hell. We got it. All
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Thanks, Deacon. Right.
0: Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Hi, this is Bishop David
2: Condorla of the Diocese of Tulsa in Oklahoma. So let us pray. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to Thy protection, implored Thy help, or sought Thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired with this confidence, I fly to Thee, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To Thee do I come. Before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful, O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen.